when the service ends today of what our students experience. Also next Sunday morning, we'll be handing out the report during both services from the Children's Ministry Council. Uh, we did that survey back in, I believe, February, and the teams work hard, worked hard to assimilate the results, and they made a presentation to the eldership in early May, and we'll be handing out those results next Sunday morning. Um, pray, for, pray for the next generation. It's just a couple weeks away, July 7, 5.30 p.m. I'd love to see a huge crowd that night as we gather together. I'll tell you a quick story. We had our um, June Pray for the Next Generation night, and we dedicated most of that night to VBS. And we went on kind of a prayer walk and walked through the entire building. And everywhere we would stop, we would pray for the four- and five-year-olds that are going to meet here. And we're going to pray for the first graders, and we're going to pray for the third graders, and we're going to pray for the kitchen, and and pray that the snacks will be fat-free, and all all of the different things uh, along the way. And this week, one of the people that was a part of that sharing music was just walking through the area and talking to a staff member and said, you know, this is right where we stopped and prayed for your class. And the staff member said, well, that explains it. That's why this week has been such an awesome week. The usual issues that we have just haven't seemed to crop up at all. So prayer matters. Prayer makes a difference. And it's one hour, July 7. I hope that you will come out. I want to start this morning with um, a question you probably have not been asked before when you came to church, and it is this. What does the gauge on your greed meter read? If you had a greed meter in your life, in your heart, in your mind, what's the gauge on it read? Is greed something that you struggle with? Is greed something that is a problem for you? How many of you remember Madonna in the 1980s? She sang, we are living, what, in a material world. And no, please don't sing that for me today. But um, I think she was on to something way back in 1982, 1983. We live in a material world, and we are driven by material things. Let's be honest. We like nice stuff, whether it's a house or a car or clothes or whatever it may be. We're driven to material things. And it was the same case in the first century world. Now, they didn't have cars to worry about. But there are people that that really struggled with greed. And that's why Jesus, when you look at his parables and you look at his teachings, Jesus talked about money and material possessions more than anything else. 16 of his 38 parables were dedicated to dealing with our money and our material possessions. In the Bible, if you wanted to do a Google search, you would find that there are 500 verses of Scripture on prayer. Prayer is really important. There's just under 500 verses on the power of faith. Faith is really important. You would find over 2,000 verses of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, that deal with money, material possessions, and what they can do to us if we're not careful. So all morning long as we look at this, I want you to kind of have that rolling through your mind. What's the gauge read on my greed meter? How does this impact me? Um, We did a stewardship campaign my second year here just for the annual giving, and I received an anonymous note after the the Commitment Sunday, and I'd preached on giving and money for four weeks in a row, and the anonymous note said, we don't need no preacher telling us to give money to the Lord. It was really well-crafted. We don't need no preacher to tell us to give money to the Lord. And the reality is, yes, you do. You do need to hear that, and I need to hear that. We all need to hear that. A major staple of the mature Christian life is a healthy balance of money and material possessions in our lives as followers of Christ. 
So don't be nervous. Don't be afraid. Don't get up and leave. The last thing I want you to do is leave today feeling like a terrible, awful person. But at the same time, I want to tackle this parable honestly, transparently, and see what we can learn about money and material possessions and the big G word, greed. So let's dive in Luke chapter 12, and like the parable of the Good Samaritan that we looked at two weeks ago, with our parable this morning, before Jesus tells the parable, there's a conversation with somebody. And it's not really a planned conversation, and the conversation leads to the parable. So in Luke 12, beginning with verse 13, we see that someone in the crowd came to Jesus and said, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me? a judge or arbiter between you. Then he said to them, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. No parable yet, but some good teaching. Four things I noticed in this little introductory paragraph. And number one is this, Jesus' sermon, he's getting ready to preach a sermon, it's interrupted by someone who has a personal agenda. It's somebody that has a personal agenda. This man has obviously experienced a death in his family. Maybe his father passed away. More than likely, that's the case. And he goes to Jesus and he says, you need to tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me, to divide the inheritance fairly. See, in the first century world, more than likely, this this person was going to get very little of the inheritance. If you were the firstborn son, you were good to go. You were in the power position. You were going to have a lot of prominence. But if you were second born or third born or or last, you probably weren't going to get very much, if anything at all. Is that fair? I don't think that's fair. But that's how life was in the first century world. So we see somebody here that has a personal agenda. They're saying, Jesus, you help me out. Jesus, you go to bat for me. You tell my brother to play fair. Second thing, Jesus isn't excited about serving as mediator, but he still makes the most of the opportunity. Jesus could have said, look, I've got miracles to do. I've got sermons to preach. I've got poor people to encourage. I've got a lot of work to do. I've got ministry that I need to get after. But he makes the most of the opportunity to dive in and to share a truth that that is incredibly impacting. That's the cool thing about Jesus. When you read through Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, many times some of Jesus' most profound teachings come kind of just matter-of-fact conversation of the day. Situation like this. Somebody says, I need help dividing the, the, the inheritance from my father. And Jesus uses it as an opportunity to share a profound teaching. Number three, Jesus begins this teaching with a reminder of the trap of greed. A reminder about the trap of greed. I can't find in the Gospels, and if some of you want to do some study this week, maybe you can, and you can send me a note or send me an email and let me know, but I can't find anywhere in Scripture where Jesus said, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of sexual sin, adultery, fornication. I can't find that there. I can't find anywhere in the Gospels where Jesus said, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of thievery and stealing and theft. I can't find that. I can't find in the, in the Gospels where Jesus said, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of death, murder, and hangings, and executions. I don't find that. You know why? Because if you're committing adultery, you probably, more than likely, know you're committing adultery. And if you don't know, you're in big trouble. 
If you are a thief, more than likely, you realize what I'm doing is wrong. I wonder, is Jesus so emphatic about the problem of greed? Because maybe it's a problem that all of us face and we don't even realize it. Maybe greed's crept into my heart. Maybe greed's crept into your heart and you don't even realize that it's an issue. Whatever the case, Jesus says, watch out, be on guard. And when Jesus says, watch out, when Jesus says, be on guard, I would recommend you watch out and you be on guard. Number four, the message, what's Jesus trying to teach? He who has the most, he who dies with the most toys still dies. Have you seen that bumper sticker that says, he who dies with the most toys wins? I I think someone in town has it. Maybe someone in this church has it. The reality is, he who dies with the most toys still dies. And the message from Jesus is this, your life should not and will not be defined by the number of toys you accumulate, the number of things that you have. It's not. The fact of the matter is this, he who dies with the most toys or the least toys still dies. So that's all introductory to get to the parable. Let's dive in and look at the parable of the rich fool, Luke 12. Jesus told them this parable. He said, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. I don't know if you're an underline the Bible type of person, but if you have your Bible, don't don't underline the pew Bible, although it actually wouldn't probably hurt. It is important. Underline that phrase, rich toward God, right now, if you're an underline kind of person. Rich toward God. When I have breathed my last and people talk about my life, there's a lot of things they could say. One of the things I hope they will say is that Greg Taylor was rich toward God. And one of the things that I hope will be a testimony of your life is that you were someone who was rich toward God. Now, I can't give you a formula. I can't do multiplication. and I mean, I can do multiplication and division, but I can't do it for you in your life, Okay. But that's a formula you need to figure out for you. What would it take for you to be able to say, yes, I I am rich toward God? That's an exercise that I think we would all benefit from moving forward. Well, this morning, there's five things I want to talk about as it pertains to this parable this morning. And number one is this. Understand, greed is a dangerous drug. Consume with severe caution. Greed is a dangerous drug. Consume with with severe caution. What is greed? Well, one definition of greed uh, from, from a dictionary is an excessive desire to acquire or possess more than what one needs, especially with respect to material wealth. And does greed look differently between one person and another? Possibly. But greed is when you never have enough. Greed is when you always got to have more. Greed is when you're not satisfied, you're not content, and greed is a dangerous drug. And so Jesus says, not Greg, Jesus says, consume with severe caution. Here's what God's word says. You remember Job? How many remember Job? Job was a really rich guy that lost everything. 
God was convinced he would stay faithful, and so God let Satan test him, and he lost it all. And here's what Job has to say. Job says, if I have put my trust in gold, or said to pure gold, you are my security. If I have rejoiced over my great wealth, then these would be sins to be judged, for I would have been unfaithful to God on high. See, through all the turmoil, through all the struggles, Job understood that things are just things. Possessions are just possessions. The psalmist says in Psalm 62, though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. And that's a challenge of life as a Christ follower in America 2013. As we age and as maybe we make more money and we're able to to maybe move into a nicer house or drive a nicer car or wear nicer clothes, to enjoy them, to say, Lord, thanks for blessing me, but to not put our hope in these things. To not try to get a sense of meaning and satisfaction from these things. Probably the hardest verse of Scripture in this whole arena for me is where the Apostle Paul goes in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, this you can be sure of. No immoral, no impure, no greedy person, such a man as an adulterer, an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And I understand the Apostle Paul saying that the immoral person that won't repent isn't going to heaven. I get that. Or the impure person that doesn't repent isn't going to heaven. But, man, when he starts talking about the greedy person, I mean, I get a little nervous. Because I'll be honest, I struggle with greed. And if you're being honest this morning, more than likely you probably struggle with that as well. So understand, greed can be dangerous. It can be damning. It can be so troublesome, so consume with severe caution. Number two, number two, and I'm passionate about this, understand that accumulating wealth and possessions is not a sin in itself. If you live in a nice house, you shouldn't feel bad about that. If you drive a nice car, you shouldn't feel bad about that. If you have nice things, you shouldn't feel bad about that. God has blessed you, and you ought to say to the Lord, thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, I'm going to have something for you a little bit later in the sermon, but I get really bent out of shape when preachers take God's word and go a direction that I don't think it's intended to go, and and I don't think that you're called to live the life of poverty. I don't think that you're called to sell all of your possessions and go to Walmart and buy a tent and and move to Weldon Springs and, and make it a tent city. I don't think that's what God is calling you to do. Some of us have been very successful The Lord has blessed you, and your response should be, praise the Lord. Now, there's a second response I've got for you a little bit later in the message. But having good things in itself is not a sin. One of the most misrepresented verses of Scripture in the entire Bible is in 1 Timothy 6.10. And here's what a lot of people read. Money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some of you may have even quoted it. The problem is that's not what Paul said to Timothy. What did Paul say? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money. And so if God has blessed you, praise the Lord. And you're going to have an opportunity to be a blessing. Number three, you can't take it with you, whatever it is. You can't take it with you, whatever it is. Think of your favorite possession. Maybe like me, it's your Chicago Cubs jersey. Maybe it's your fishing boat. Maybe it's your your fishing rod and reel combo that the smallmouth just can't leave alone. Maybe it's a a favorite pair pair of pants or or shoes or, or your house or your car, whatever it is. You can't take it with you. 
I have never seen a U-Haul attached to a hearse in a funeral possession. You can't take it with you. Aristotle Anassus um, was a Greek shipping baron, billionaire, and he ended up marrying the widow of JFK, Jackie Kennedy Anassus. And when he died, I think in 1975, it's estimated that he was worth somewhere between 500 and 900 million dollars. And needless to say, that's not chump change. That's a lot of money. A member of the news media approached one of his heirs shortly after his death and, and asked the question, how much did the old man leave? And the heir replied without missing a beat, all of it. He left all of it. And whether you're worth $500 million or $500, you can't take it with you. And so if you're putting your hope and your trust and your confidence and your assurance in things, you're going to be sadly disappointed. You can't take it with you. Number four, the rich man's motives for his actions are a major part of the problem that we see here in the parable. What's the rich man want to do? He's been successful. He's made it in the agricultural world. He's been able to to, to do well farming. He's got so much grain, he's got no place to store it. And that's a blessing, that's a good thing. But look at what his motives are. Verse 19, I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years, so I'm going to take life easy, I'm going to eat, I'm going to drink, I'm going to be merry. He's saying, I have been so successful... I'm going to build bigger barns and store all my grain, and I'm not going to have to do a thing. Now, there's probably a little bit in each and every one of us that thinks that would actually be a pretty cool life, wouldn't it? To just have no rhyme or reason, no problems. I mean, life is good. You can just kick back, and you don't have to get up. And when the alarm clock goes off, you just throw it against the wall, and you keep sleeping, and and you just love life. But the reality is that's not a life that honors Jesus Christ. The reality is that this person in the parable here, he's got his life all put together and all figured out, and he left one person out of the equation. The Lord. Look at verse 20. It says, But God said to him, You fool, this night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Then who's going to get it? And so this morning, just kind of again rolling around in your mind, what are your motives for your life moving forward? What do you want to do with the stuff God's blessed you with? What do you want your life to look like after your life on this earth is over? Some of you are saying, I'm going to heaven, so who really cares? But do you realize you can have a legacy? You can make a difference? Let me tell you a story. Three years ago, I was at Rotary, and Joe Taylor, a lawyer here in town, came up to me, and he said, um, hey, I've got good news for you, Greg. And I'm thinking to myself, I doubt it. Joe usually has a lot of news for me. It's rarely good news, but there's a lot of news out there. And he said, um, somebody died. I didn't know the name of the person. But she has left her estate to your church and to another church in town, the United Methodist Church. And I'm thinking, well, you know, that's nice, $1,000, something along those lines. She said, no, she died in 1958. And she set up an estate for her son to care for him. And at the time of his death, if he had no heirs, all the farmland was to be sold. And half the money goes to your church and half the money goes to the United Methodist Church. And uh, about seven, eight, nine weeks later, our church received a check for $250,000. 
Now, this money was used to help carve our debt in half. We were able to pay our debt off a year and a half early. Foreign missions were blessed. The ministries of our church was blessed. The physical building was blessed. And here's the really wild thing about that. That lady that died in 1958 didn't go to First Christian Church. Not a member of this church. She thought it was really cool that Billy Junkins called on her in the hospital. That, that's a life, that's a legacy that impacted you and me. We never met her. She died 11 years before I was even born. And that's a legacy that's still making a difference. And here's the thing. You may not have hundreds of acres of farmland to sell. But my guess is there's something you could do that could be difference-making long after you are gone. Or even right now while you're still alive. What's your motive for your life with the things God has blessed you with? And then number five, finally this morning, the key to this message, the key to this parable is the contrast in verse 21. It's the contrast in verse 21. Jesus said, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. You don't have to be rich to be rich toward God. You don't have to have a lot of stuff. You don't have to have a a deep bank account to be rich toward God. I had somebody come up to me this week that I know is on a fixed income. I know they don't just have money at their disposal to buy anything they possibly could buy. They have a very average vehicle. They live a very humble lifestyle. And we didn't know if we were going to make our offering or not. We didn't know where we were going to go with the offering or not. She said to me, I'm bringing a check. Don't tell anybody so I won't tell you your name. And she said, I'll write up to $200 if necessary. She probably didn't have $200 to go down that road. That's someone that's being rich toward God. And I'll tell you, a lot of us can live lives like that. There's kids right now that are going to Little Galilee Camp this summer that this church will have to subsidize 100%. And some of us could step forward and say, I'll pay for one of them, and we wouldn't even miss it. Wouldn't even make a difference. We have opportunities to be rich toward God. And the contrast in verse 21, that is the key. May 19 of this year, it was a really hot day. We were getting ready for baccalaureate that night. And I went out to Little Galilee Camp at about 2.30 in the afternoon. There was a dedication for a gazebo that had been built. And I didn't know that there were gazebo dedications, but I was part of a gazebo dedication on May 19 of this year. And it was a, a lady from another Christian church in central Illinois that wanted to do something in memory of her husband and do something in memory of her son. And she contacted Bob and Ken and Kevin and said, you build the gazebo, I'll pay for it. And was it a million-dollar project? No, not at all. Is it going to make a difference in the ministry at Little Galley? It already is. There's already classes that have taken place in that gazebo. There's already conversations about becoming a Christian, being baptized, that have taken place in that gazebo. Because someone said, here I am, Lord. I, I don't have a ton, but I want to use what I can use. Bottom line is this. Because we love Jesus unconditionally, We make it a priority to be rich toward God. And I hope, I hope, I pray that that's a description of your life, that you're someone that is rich toward God. I loved what Kent shared during our offering time, the words from Jesus in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your treasure this morning? Let's pray. God, thank you for today. And thank you for the chance to dive into your word. I thank you for this parable and 
Father, when we talk about money and things, a lot of times we get defensive. A lot of times we get nervous. A lot of times we feel guilty. And Father, this morning is my prayer that that we won't feel any of that. But instead, we'll be inspired. We'll be inspired to be able to wear that tag phrase in our lives, rich toward you. Father, the things of this world can be pretty cool. But the things of heaven are eternal. The things of heaven last forever. The things of heaven make all the difference in the world. And so help us to be a a body of believers, men and women and teenagers and children that love you with all of our heart and understand that the things of this world are just that, they're things, and we can't take it with you. We love you, and it's in your name we pray this morning. Amen. It is commitment time as it is every Sunday here at our church, and if you have a decision to make for Jesus Christ, uh, we invite you this morning to come forward. I'd love to talk with you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If you're in need of prayer, I'd love to have the opportunity to pray with you. Cody Monkman with his BBS Mohawks right over there. And he'd be glad to pray with you as well as we stand together for our song of commitment. Come thou found Come on up here. We have coming up two sisters, Adela Parker, who uh, has been with us for six years, and her sister, Laura Conheady. And uh, they come this morning as baptized believers in Jesus Christ to transfer their membership to First Christian Church. And that's awesome. Give them a hand. That's great. 
And so, ladies, I'm going to ask you to repeat after me what I know you believe. I believe. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. I'm going to pray for these ladies. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the sisters that stand before us and the love that they have for you. And I pray that you would bless them and encourage them. And as they walk even closer to you, Father, that, that you would just reveal yourself to them. We're excited that they're joining our church family. Bless them. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. God bless you all.